longer than 60 seconds. SMSs go to 41391. Tweet at SFM Radio and at Patricia N. Dooley. Health Conversations. Let's welcome our A-team guest, Professor Musa Mashabela, who's Deputy Vice-Chancellor of Research and Innovation at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. Professor Mashabela, thank you very much for joining us. Good evening. Good evening, Patricia. I hope you can hear me clearly. Oh, you're very audible, Prof. You're very, very audible. So I'm seeing a tweet that uh, you put out a couple of hours ago this uh, evening um, uh, talking about the fourth wave and, and, you know, where we currently are now. Do you mind if I read it out? No, please go ahead. So on Twitter, Prof says, uh, during the fourth wave, it became clear that due to high levels of immunity and perhaps certain characteristics of Omicron, uh, people who got infected were sick for shorter periods and presented mostly mild disease state. For those who are still in question, and you you continue to elaborate, right? But I'm going to take it from here. For those who are still questioning, what has been going on? Because we thought the fourth wave was going to be a big punch. Uh, We saw what the first, second, and third wave did to uh, South Africa, the economy, people passing away, the statistics, people being infected. But the fourth wave was totally different. Omicron brought a different, um, you know, perceptive or when it comes to COVID-19. So what has happened to us as uh, a global citizens? Yeah, it's a very important question. And um, I think the best way to explain it is to say that if you recall, just before Omicron hit us, maybe two weeks before that, there was a team of modelers that made a presentation to predict what we might expect for the fourth wave. And in that prediction, they basically modeled it with a virus that might escape immunity, but they did not necessarily account for a virus that might at the same time be highly transmissible. And the reason they did that was because we were already nearing 40% of vaccination for adults, which means that the population has got immunity. We were just coming out of the the third wave. And at that time, a lot of people got infected um, with COVID-19 during the Delta wave. And so the the modeling predictions were that we we will probably be fine unless if we face a a virus that can escape immunity, which means that it can lead, it can still infect people even though people have developed immunity. So, and that's exactly what happened with Omicron. And the virus that managed to actually break through and, you know, begin to dominate the fourth wave was a virus that was able to escape immunity, but at the same time, it was able to spread faster. But it came at a time when the, at the time, the estimation was about 70% immunity. So when you combine immunity from vaccination and immunity from infection, in the population generally, there was high levels of, of immunity. And for that reason, um, even though it could escape immunity, it was not necessarily causing severe disease because people had already developed some sort of soldiers of the body to protect them. And so... We saw that kind of begin to take hold in South Africa. The prediction was that we will have, uh, you know, lower levels of hospitalization than we had seen before. We ended up with even lower levels than predicted. Uh, and we, that's what they call decoupling, the fact that 
you can see high levels of infections, but it did not necessarily correspond with uh, admission to hospital. There were much lower levels, relatively speaking. But I want to say, Patricia, that that's not the pattern we saw in the U.S. We saw similar patterns in Europe to South Africa, but that's not the pattern we saw in the U.S. In the U.S., we saw a situation where there was also high levels of admissions to a point where their health system was, was not coping. And the prediction there is that they were hit by Omicron before they got out of their of their fourth wave, of their of their Delta wave. And for that reason their levels of immunity were still low, even though they had higher levels of vaccination, but general population immunity, it means there were still a lot of people that were vulnerable or susceptible to infection. So from a medical perspective, that's the best way to, to capture what happened to us and to explain the situation that we faced with the fourth wave. So where, what role did um, you know, vaccinations play in, in finding us at the point where we are now at adjusted lockdown level one and uh, regulations have changed? Yeah, so I would say ideally we should really have been at a much higher level of um, vaccination. But vaccination is was helpful because it brought us closer to having a lot of people with immunity. But we compensated it with um, immunity that came from infections. So I would say it took us halfway and infections took us, sort of covered the other half that brought us about 70% or so. And and for that reason, um, Patricia, you know, it really helped to bring us, to help us stay in alert level one during um, the fourth wave because we didn't increase the alert levels in the fourth wave. And because we survived that fourth wave, I think a lot of people are feeling more comfortable to essentially begin to ease some of the restrictions for alert level one so that we can focus on, as we say it, coming back closer to, to normality as possible. All right, so that's where we find ourselves. For those who didn't get the news flash, maybe do give us an update. What are these alert levels saying? Yeah, so I think um, the way, the best way to think of the alert levels is essentially that uh, government, from a policy perspective, has five different levels of responding in terms of restrictions. Um, and, you know, when you think of restrictions, it's like because the virus, when it spreads, we, we as people, we move the virus. We, the virus itself doesn't move on its own per se. We move it. And if there is sort of a, a serious burden, the more serious the burden of the virus, the higher levels of restrictions we, we are faced with. So in our left level, in, in, in uh, the second wave, we went up to uh, alert level three. In the fourth wave with Delta, because it was so bad, we went up to alert level four. In the very first wave, we started off at alert level five. But um, because with the fourth wave, things were a little bit easier or better, then we only stayed at alert level level one. So one, two, three, four, five, the higher you go in those numbers, the more restrictions you know, the, then the, that, uh, you know, are imposed on society. 
But when you are at lower levels of the alert levels, the responsibility is largely with the population or individuals rather than with the state. All right. Let me go to a voice note. A team is our guest is uh, Professor Musa Moshabela, who's Deputy Vice Chancellor of Research and Innovation at the University of Guazul Natal. We're talking about our new COVID-19 rules uh, that are around no isolation unless you have symptoms of COVID-19. And if you do, then only seven days of isolation. And uh, yeah, uh, here are your voice notes. Good uh, evening, Patricia. Please ask our professor there that is there a need to continue vaccinating people that are low risk uh, when we have uh, uh, variants like Omicron that are not as strong. And we know that uh, the COVID vaccines protect against severe disease and death in those that are high risk. That's people with uh, uh, comorbidities and uh, people above the age of 50. We should be emphasizing that those people should be vaccinated and channel our resources elsewhere instead of vaccinating, you know, uh, people that are low risk who are going to get COVID and they have mild symptoms anyway, whether they are vaccinated or not. I know. All right. Uh, please do respond first, Prof. Yeah, no, Patricia, I think it's a good point. And I think the last point that he makes that um, we should really pay attention to people with risk factors, that's very important. And you would have seen in my thread as well that I said that that message has to be clear. If you're going to, in a way, relax the restrictions, um, and the way the, re- the restrictions are being relaxed is such that um, we the policy is moving away from stopping the spread of infection. It's moving toward, and we call that containment. So containment is when government puts in a, makes a lot of effort to prevent the spread of infection. But they're moving away from that and they're moving towards a situation where they can only mitigate if there is like a cluster outbreak or or there is an outbreak in a, in, a, in a church or in a gathering. They're only moving towards that or to intervene if there is pressure on the health system, for example. So we call that mitigation. So he's correct to say that in a way, the risk of spread increases and we are now going to depend on our own resilience as the population to be able to and our immunity to protect us from severe disease and COVID-19 and and it's important that the people that are most at risk of severe disease uh, be it because of comorbidities or because of age uh, it's important that they're vaccinated and they're up to date with vaccination if they need boosters and so forth. So that message is missing, in my own view, is missing in the communication around the changes, but that message needs to be clear. The first part of the question was whether we should continue to advocate for vaccination. Yes, absolutely, we should. In fact, other countries, if you look at other countries that are relaxing their their restrictions, their vaccination levels are very high. In South Africa, we don't have very high levels of, of vaccination. And you will see that message is going to come across very clearly from a lot of corners. And I am very much concerned for people who are not vaccinated because now, essentially, to put it crudely, uh, the policy is saying if you have not vaccinated, you're pretty much on your own. Uh, because government is not going to stop spread of infection 
you're going to depend on people around you and yourself to protect you from infection. If you get infected, then we deal with the consequences as they as they come. Essentially, that's what it's saying. Here's a message from an ATMO says, Hi Patricia, with the announcement made that the immunity has risen to between 66 and 80%, is it rational for employer or any organization to make vaccination mandatory and dismiss workers who have not been vaccinated? This is from Mune. Yeah, that's a very important point. And this is, I think, for me, one of the things that people uh, may not notice about the new regulations, in my own analysis of what has happened, I think the new regulations around isolation and quarantine emerged because of the problems in the workforce. Um, you would remember in during the fourth wave, there was a problem, especially in the health sector, that um, even though healthcare workers were vaccinated, because the Omicron variant could escape immunity, if they were having breakthrough infections. And for that reason, and even though they had breakthrough infections, they had mild infections. So, But because of the policy at the time, they had to still go on isolation for 10 days. Their colleagues who were also their contacts still had to go on quarantine. What that did was erode the workforce. And the government responded quickly by putting out a circular on um, this issue of quarantine and isolation, but then withdrew that circular to consult for the policy process, which they have done, and now they've released that formula. My own view is that a lot of what actually um, prompted these changes around isolation and quarantine has to do with an effort to protect the workforce or preserve the workforce so that people don't have to stay away from work for too long and people who are well don't have to stay away, away from work. And this is, this is the best way the policy changes make sense to me. But here's the catch. The catch is that in as much as the workforce is being protected, not much is being said about how the individuals have to protect themselves. And for me, I think that that part of the communication still needs to happen because it has not happened. And I feel that the individuals need to be told what the risks are if they were to follow the policy as it is stated at the moment. The sense that I get is that it is we are back to the notion of it's, it's in your hands. So you have to see for yourself what you do. So if there's going to be a risk to an individual, it, it's going to be a personal risk that has to be carried by the individual. And my advice is, you know, we don't know who's going to be to get a severe disease or not. Even amongst the people that do not have risk factors, some of them might still get severe disease. At a personal level, my, my only my advice is that you have to take all the precautions you can take to protect yourself. Because government itself at a national level is not going to spend resources trying to protect people. But I think people still have to protect themselves, the, their colleagues, their loved ones, and people around them. All right. Here's another message from an A-teamer. Um, it says, hi, A-teamers. What about mask wearing? Any news on that? <laughs> 
Yeah, so no news on masks. And and I'll explain also maybe at two levels. The first part is that, you know, it's still under law. It's still, this, we still have a mask mandate um, for people to, 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 to wear masks and continue to wear masks. The second level that I want to explain, Patricia, it's got to do with, again, the motivation for the policy changes. If you accept that it was informed a lot by challenges in the workforce, then you would also understand that, for example, in the health sector, all the health sector can afford to take the risk around, say, saying people who are asymptomatic but have COVID can still go to work. Right? They don't have any symptoms. They can still go to work. They don't need to isolate. They can afford to do that because all the healthcare workers wear masks regularly. And there is a push for them to wear very high-quality masks, masks as well. So they will be protected. Their peers will be protected. And hopefully their patients will be protected as well. But the catch is going to be is every sector in society that is involved in the workforce also adhering to masks in order to compensate for the risk that is there for, for, for transmission or following all the other precautions in terms of ventilation and so forth. That's where the challenge is going to be. And I think it's going to be very difficult for masks to be removed until the risk is actually removed, which is why I think that the legislation might change to allow some sort of mandates on masks. But there will come a time when the mandates on masks are also removed. It's going to be up to the individuals to then make a decision when to wear a mask and when not to wear a mask. Well, uh, we need to close off our conversation. I think it's 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 a great step forward that we are constantly looking for uh, for 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 ways to make life better around the current uh, normal that we are living under COVID nineteen. But also that immunity has increased and uh, we are understanding more and more what the virus is behaving like mm-hmm. and how we can make sure um, that everyone is still able to do things that need to be done. So. Please just give us, Professor, your parting comments. Um, yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I think from my end, the, the the policy is progressive in terms of the workforce, in terms of the health system, in terms of saving government costs that, you know, government has been incurring um, on trying to ensure quarantine isolation, a lot of uh, testing with PCR, but, you know, all of it very expensive. So government will save a lot. But I think the communication to the general public, in my view, has not been very clear. There's uh, a lot of confusion. And people really need to take the time to make sure that they understand what is what they need to do as individuals. The message that was sent out is not really designed adequately for individuals. So what you have done, Patricia, in elucidating and helping people understand this a little bit more is really helpful. But I think each person is going to have to take responsibility to make sure that they they are protected. And in my view, there's no better protection than than vaccination. Um, But of course, that is an individual choice.
Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you very much, Professor. I think we should have another conversation um, around uh, this uh, particular development and others that we are anticipating since this is your field of research and expertise. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much and to the listeners as well.